Hi, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. I am so happy to tell you that I am recording this intro today, sitting in the living room of my brand new apartment, downtown Phoenix. If you have been following on social media at all or listening to the podcast, you know that this has been a huge, huge event in my life, is selling my house, moving into a tiny apartment in downtown, and I am sitting in this amazingly beautiful green chair surrounded by plants. I'm going to have to take some pictures, post them over on Instagram. So go to the show notes. You'll find all the information on how you can get a peep into that because it is so cute and I'm so comfortable. And I have to tell you what's even better is that squished in between me and the arm of the chair while I'm recording this is my little fluffy dog. And I have to take a picture of this too, because you are not going to believe it. It is this is just happiness, sheer happiness right now. Although I will tell you what's not making me happy is the massive amount of boxes that are piled up everywhere I look. I also had to go out yesterday to Ikea and buy yet another bookshelf because I'm really starting to think that this book thing is a problem. And I don't know if there's anything that you have that you have more of than you possibly could need. For me, it is books. I am not a fan of the Marie Kondo idea that you have like five or six. That is, that's ridiculousness. That's crazy talk. I practice abundant minimalism, which means that I choose one thing to have a whole bunch of. I don't have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things. I mean, that's just a little maddening as well, but man, I am staring at a corner of the room and there must be 10 boxes of books. And I have a group of friends coming over this morning to help me unpack. And I think that there's going to have to be a conversation. There might be an intervention today, my friends, over these books, but I'm prepared for it. I'm drinking coffee. We're going to survive. Today's podcast was such a fun conversation. I did not want it to end. Do you ever have those conversations where you're just so engrossed? And I will tell you that after we stopped recording, Yael Wolf and I did continue to have our conversation and we have even established that we are new best friends and that we are going to have regular Zoom calls that are not recorded just so that we can catch up and we can continue to explore our ideas and bounce thoughts off of each other because we are same, same. It is so strange how parallel she and I are in our worlds and our lives and our thinkings. What she struggles with, I struggle with. What she's done in her life, I've done in my life. Our paths have run parallel for 40 some odd years. And that is so amazing when your soul finds someone that you can just look at and say, yes, you are my people. Yael is my people. And I love her immensely. We have such an amazing conversation about the feminine versus the masculine. What is inside us? What do we feel? How do we put that out to the world in a safe way? And how does the world perceive those sides of us? Whoa, it's so much to dig into. And I really hope that you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, there's always opportunities to connect more with myself, with guests, with other listeners, and to share your thoughts and reflections. First and foremost, we have a Facebook page that talks about all kinds of writing and the podcast. We have a dedicated Facebook page called Considering, Considering Everything. And that is through the Patreon, where we have a smaller group of people that get together to 
talk about the podcast. We do this wonderful thing called Wine Wednesday. And if wine's not your thing, don't worry about it. You can, whatever your beverage of choice is, show up with it. We are having our next one on this coming Wednesday, April 27th at 7 Pacific time. And the way that you access that is through the Patreon. One of the things that we're doing right now is that even the $5 level will get you access to one of the Wine Wednesdays. So if you've been considering that, I would absolutely recommend to jump yourself over to the Patreon, even sign up for the $5 level. It's $5 a month. That's like less than a Starbucks coffee. And I know that because I got one on the day of the move and holy cow, $5.95 for a coffee. I like to think that our conversations are worth a Starbucks coffee, don't you? So um, we get together once uh, or twice a month. We get together twice a month. We do a Zoom call. It's a great way to meet new people, um, delve into ideas that we've discussed. But even beyond that, it's not just about the podcast conversations. Wine Wednesdays are also about just getting to know other people and sharing thoughts and ideas. There's a lot of things that will come out of those Wine Wednesdays that will be potential topics. So if there's something you want to delve into, you want to see discussed on the podcast, we want to know about that. If there's something that you just have on your mind, want to bounce that around with other people, it's a very open group, very caring, very safe place for everybody, male or female. We have both men and women. So the show notes have the information on the Patreon. Also in the show notes, Yael and I talk about a couple different references. So we mention um, a couple books. We mention a couple of her essays. We mention a couple people that we look to to get more information as we try to understand our inner selves. All of that is linked in the show notes. So check that out. It's just such a great source of information for you. Yael is a writer, artist, and photographer whose work is an exploration of what it means to be a woman in a world that has forgotten the feminine. She is the creatrix behind the photographic journey Rising and the author of Paris, My Love. She is also the wolf behind Howl, a temple space and artistic celebration of female sexuality. The show notes have the links to all of those different endeavors of hers. So we definitely encourage you to check her out. Let me introduce you to Yael Wolf. Yael and I met uh, through Medium where we both write, and I think that we both kind of ended up reading each other's stories over time. When I finished reading one of Yael's essays that it just hits me so deeply, and it has for years, though it's just been a wonderful experience for me over the last couple of years to get to know you and to be inspired by your words and your bravery and your honesty, and it's so incredibly refreshing how authentic and pure you are. And it just makes me love you so much, but I would love for the listeners to know a little bit about you and what your background is. And so they can come to have a little foundation of knowledge about you. Well, thank you. And, uh, just for the record, the feeling is totally mutual. Like, you know how you meet those writers and you're like, Oh my God. So yeah, I, um, I am a writer, photographer, artist. Um, I've been writing since I was, a very young. I always knew I wanted to be a writer since I was about 10 years old. 
And of course, I took the long road to get there, meaning I, I did it for fun and did all the, the things you're supposed to do in life, like go get my teaching degree and all of that stuff and turn it into, you know, good, uh, productive adulthood. Because everyone said, don't be a writer, don't be an artist, you'll never make it. And then I got into my 40s and I couldn't hold that part of myself back anymore. I knew I had to pursue this and um, I started uh, per, just like trying to put my work out there in different ways. Um, I started doing what I wanted to do, meaning in the past, I would have written about things that felt very prescribed and very much about what I thought the world wanted to hear. And then I thought, you know what? I want to talk about other things. I want to talk about womanhood. I want to talk about sex. I want to talk about, you know, what it's what it's like to be a woman in this world in ways that I have never felt allowed to speak about it. And Put myself out there and could not believe in a moment because I'd been kind of toying with that over time for probably the last seven years or so and suddenly I start doing it the way I wanted to do it and I had an audience and it's like oh my god I should have been doing this all along. <laughs> and that inspired me to uh, reignite my love of photography and marry the two and uh, one of the things that I, I love about um meeting these people through through medium and, and through the, these this work that I'm doing is that I meet people who understand what I'm trying to do sometimes better than I do. For instance, I, I have a friend, Catherine Dickel, who basically wrote my latest bio, which is that I write and photograph um, the, the lived experience of being a woman in this world. And it's like, yeah, there it is. That's amazing. It's funny. My, um, my person that I have that does the same thing for me is also named Catherine. Oh my God. So wow. We have Catherine. Our story is so similar in parallel because I have, the, I did the same thing. I got the teaching degree and then I'm like, this is not who I am. Yeah. And then I worked in nonprofit as well. Oh my and God. And then it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And there was for me so much fear in putting things out there. And so for me, it's been, writing has been such a great process of discovery mm -hmm. of myself and others. And again, I think that's one of the things that I feel so drawn to your writing because of that discovery that I have seen you go through over the last couple of years. And I think one of the similarities that you and I share is that we're not afraid to write about our struggles mm -hmm. in a very real way about how they affect us. Yeah. And so when I've seen you struggle with things or I've seen you be open and honest, it makes me feel safer mm. in doing that. How you came to be sitting with me today was because I found um, your article, which was titled when it comes to being a woman, have I got it all wrong? And I saw that title and I immediately clicked on it because I have been struggling with some of the same things that you mentioned in the essay, which is this struggle of, as women, how do we embrace our femininity and honor that and still mold ourselves into a very masculine world and at what point do we stop doing a disservice to ourselves or a disservice to other people in order to be who we are? Mm -hmm. And so you start off in the essay talking about last summer, you had a little bit of a um, 
sort of this journey had started last summer. So last summer you came into a realization that something didn't feel right and you needed to do some exploration. Can you tell me about that and, and what happened and, and what sparked that, that realization? Yeah. Um, it was after a um, very disappointing relationship uh, in terms of like the disappointment being that I was really excited about it. I thought it was a safe space. I, I felt like my, just my identity and this is also kind of a concept that I haven't really finalized, let's say, but how I see myself as a woman or just being a woman in the world, um, I felt very safe in the beginning of that relationship to just be that. And then little things started happening throughout the relationship that started whittling away at that, you know, like it started out as this, like, I, I am behind women, I am a feminist, but then there were all these little comments that kept happening and like kind of teasing me about my emotional nature, um, little like poking fun at things like that, that I've, I've had that happen my whole life, whether it was with boyfriends or bosses or whatever. And in the end, I felt extremely disrespected by the way that the relationship ended and what happened. And, and it didn't feel like that had been a safe space at all, like looking back, you know? And in response to that, because this person was very traditionally masculine and had a lot of those markers of masculinity as our culture has defined them. And I felt this deep, deep need to just walk away from that once and for all. I think I wrote about it several times back then as well about, I want to explore something different. Like I am done prioritizing what our culture perceives and defines as masculine. I am done right. changing myself for that. So what if I just dive into the things that I feel that I need and that our culture doesn't respect, like softness, like vulnerability, like open emotional communication, stuff like that. And I really, really dove into that in many ways. Even in my photography, I started taking photos deliberately out of focus just to see like, what, who says photos have to be in focus, right? Like, oh, I love it. Yeah. It was like, why? And the does, photos are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Like, why does, why does precision define good art, you know, or any of those concepts? And I also did a lot of um, and these were just like my, my um, newsletter photos and stuff. I'll occasionally take some photos out in the woods or something for my newsletter and stuff. And all of the ones that I took at that time, I tried to seek out soft light. I was doing a lot of like poses where I'm holding myself or like um, doing heart openers and stuff like that because I wanted to really like bodily step into this space of, um, of that softness and openness and vulnerability. And it started there and I'll pause there just because like, that's like how I stepped into it in this moment. And it's funny because it's, it was a very hard decision, not hard, like difficult, but hard. Like I am doing this, I'm done right. with this. So it's very interesting to me to, to feel the energy of how I went into it. Cause I was like, hard stop. I'm done with this. I'm going into this soft space. So like from that hard space, I made that decision to go into softness. And then it has evolved since then. But like I said, well, we can explore that as well, but I'll pause there. That's, it's interesting that you say that our timing 
I don't think I've ever realized how much our timing also aligns mm -hmm. because I started doing some of this work last year as well in the summer mm -hmm. after the end of a relationship with a man who was very um, into his masculine space. Mm -hmm. Also very same thing, very, I support women. I am a feminist. And I, when men say that to me, I, I want to ask a lot of questions. Well, I'm a feminist, oh, but for you though, can we, yes. you tell me what that <laughs> means? Because I am struggling with what that looks like to you, because are we on the same page there? Right. But I started with some of this, um, last summer, but then really, I would say in the last three months, it has really bubbled up for me. Mm-hmm for a number of reasons. One being that I quit my job. Mm -hmm. um, I resigned back in December, but it wasn't until the very beginning of March that I actually vacated the premises. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, I was not working in a male-driven space. Mm -hmm. So there was no masculinity in my life at all. Yeah. Like starting the beginning of, of March, say, um, even before that. So I've got this creative, you know, process that I'm going through. I've got this new creative endeavor in my life that there is no male presence there necessarily. I don't have a partner in my life. So I started trying to figure out what I wanted to do with this next phase. What I got to was that I discounted the female side of my creative work. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that I started this out wanting to make sure, especially with the podcast, that it appealed to men and women. Mm -hmm. Because for some reason, and you mentioned something about being criticized in your work for not it not being intellectual enough. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I don't want I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be discounted as yet just another woman talking into a microphone. Right. And then I thought to myself, well, what if the world does need another woman talking into a microphone? Because yeah. There are so many men out there talking in a microphones, and I don't think that any of them got into their podcast and said, you know what, I um, maybe I shouldn't do this because the world doesn't need another man talking into a microphone, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So that hard line for you as a jumping off point was more of a spiral of confusion for me, mm -hmm. right? In what that looks like. Yeah, And so you talk a lot about the different archetypes and you've done a lot of research. So one of the things that um, I understand that you did as part of this process of trying to figure this out is like literally writing things down and drawing charts, which I love about you because anytime I struggle with anything, like, you know, shit's gotten real. If I am creating a spreadsheet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what's happening in my life. I need a spreadsheet. Yeah. So when you said that, I'm like, hmm, that's my girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me about what you did to kind of figure out what this meant for you moving forward. So you're sitting in this space. You have leaned into this softness. Is it working? Is it not working? What happened in that space? Oh, okay. So 
One of the things, and okay, let me, I'll, to answer your question, is it working? Yes, for sure. I needed that. I needed to say, I think that was like the, the first step of the journey was for me to validate my own experience as, as a woman or as someone who needed those um, feminine aspects of her life. Again, as our culture defines feminine, right? Um, I think that what I was also like simultaneously struggling with was what does it even mean to me to be a woman? What do, how do I identify as like, what is my identity in the world? And, and I still don't really know the answer to that because there are so many ways that I have felt that I wanted to express what others might call masculine traits that, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, for a while it was like more like, yeah, I want to express these masculine parts of myself. And then it's like, but are they masculine? And what exactly does that mean? Who defined that? Who? And that's what I started writing down these charts and everything. Cause I thought, okay, wait a minute. One of those things that I thought about was um, how I wanted to be more aggressive in the bedroom. And, and then I thought, well, why is that, why is that masculine? Why is that a masculine trait? Why does that make me want to express my masculine side? And then of course I started thinking of the biology of it because I think so much of our like gender roles and stereotypes are um, kind of born from the supposed definitions of how our biologies work. And this is all very heteronormative too as well. So let's yeah. just acknowledge that. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the story is the woman is passive, um, the man is more um, aggressive or at least assertive. Um, and then I actually, as I'm thinking of this, I actually was reading a book and they um, addressed this and how um, until the seventies or so, that is how we defined like uh, the fertilization of an egg, for instance, that we talked about sperm as being these very assertive, aggressive, you know, powerful swimming machines and just like fighting each other to get to the egg and how the egg just passively, passively is transported down the fallopian tube and all of these. And it was saying all of this stuff about how the way that we have always described reproduction up until about that time and less and less as time goes by and we have been able to see it under a microscope more, we defined it based on all these cultural assumptions and biases about gender. And like who decided the fallopian or the, the egg is passively moving, being moved down the fallopian tube? Who decided that? Uh, it's moving. Right, right. Is it not moving itself? <laughs> you know? both, both parties are moving. They're right. going toward each other. Why isn't exactly. that shared? That's a great point. Yeah. And so this whole, like it, it um, broke it down in, um, you know, much more, uh, what's the word, technical terms than what I can give you. But basically it was saying, that the egg and the sperm are very much in partnership. They're, they are very much working um, in a mutual dance toward each other. And there's like all kinds of things going on that one is not passive, one is not um, aggressive or assertive. And then of course, it makes me think of the act of sex too, as I mentioned in the article about how we talk about, well, a vagina is this open receptive space and then the penis is like the penetrating aspect of that. And then I'm like, is it though? Like, if you think about it, like basically the woman's body is like consuming this. Like, is that not a very aggressive thing? Right. right? Sure. And so at that point I started thinking about, okay, so what all of these things that we have defined as masculine versus feminine, 
Um, the only thing that I know for sure about them is that we have defined them. We have put them in separate categories. And I, I mean, it makes sense that the purpose of doing that in a hierarchical culture like ours, that that way we can define what is worthy and what is not. And that puts all these things that we call the feminine over here in the like not worthy category. And so it serves its purpose for this, you know, experience of culture that we are having. But what does it really mean? And this is where I am trying to find my feet because I like I I don't I don't believe that they are as binary as we have defined them to be. And I look at it and I see, I think that we're all hurting so much because we're not allowed to have the other. And, but we do like meaning right. that's all a part of all of our lives. You look at what men are going through and I can't speak for their experience, but just from what I observe and have heard them say, this inability to express their emotions and do anything that's feminine. I mean, it is uh, like, that is soul killing, honestly. It breaks like, my heart. Yes. It just and, breaks my heart. Yeah. And then to look at the ways it disempowers women that we have to be in this you know, category that is defined as unworthy or not good enough or not as good. I mean, I think that we are all um, basically walking around and their culture has said, you can only be half of what you are. We are cutting off the other half that doesn't fit into that because you can only be the one that fits in your gender. And um, that is where I'm really trying to explore right now. Like what, how do we find a way to bring this back together for ourselves but also be able to define ourselves and our genders as we want to, as it fits us, you know? Right. I think that some of the struggles that I have had are, are in line with that cultural creation of the identity around the gender mm -hmm. that I struggle with because it is, it hurts, right? Yeah. It's just painful. And I have always felt that girly was weak. I grew up feeling like if I, <clears throat> if I was overly girly, if there were girls out there, there was always sort of this idea of, you know, you go to this to school and there's all of the pretty girls who are in their dresses and their hairs looks really pretty and they have makeup on and then there's the girls that want to go and poke things in the mud right, right. and so both are girls they're both yeah. girls they're both feminine but they're just vastly different and i think boys grow up the same way i feel mm -hmm. bad for any boy who has ever had any inclination in his life toward anything that would be considered feminine whether it is art music, dance, drawing, I mean, dance for the love of God. Oh my God yeah. Boys who dance mm -hmm. are ruthlessly made fun of. Like that is insane to me mm -hmm. because it's beautiful, but they're discouraged from doing that in the same way that girls are discouraged from poking things in the mud with a stick, because mm -hmm. that's not what we're supposed to do. Cause we're going to get dirty. Right. So that started for me at a very young age, but I came from a house with a very traditional marriage. Mm -hmm. right? My mom and my dad still have very traditional roles. Mm -hmm. So I grew up seeing that as a woman, as an adult, this is what you're supposed to do as far as your identity, specifically mm -hmm. when there's a male in there. And I think that's 
one of the things that I fight and I don't know and I don't understand. And I had decided to go back on a dating app at the end of February, beginning of March sometime and matched with someone who had put in his profile things that he was looking for in a woman. And one of the things, it was a bunch of words starting with F. So it was fun, fit, fabulous, feminine was in there. And I will tell you, I hesitated on whether or not I should swipe right on this person because he put the word feminine in his profile and I did not know if that was going to apply to me mm -hmm. because yeah. I didn't know if I defined myself as feminine. I have been told many times that I have a lot of masculine energy, mm -hmm. which I think has been a product of my environment, but not who I am inside. So mm -hmm. especially when now I've left that environment, I'm only left with what's inside and I have no idea what's inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that I have always been drawn toward masculine types, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I am craving to be with someone who has that emotional intelligence and that ability to be vulnerable in a very genuine way. I don't say that in a cliche kind of way of like, oh, vulnerable men are great. Like, no, I really, like, I, I mean it. Yeah. I don't care if you're struggling with something. I don't care if you're sad and you cry. Like we all do that. It's an emotion that we all deserve to have. Mm -hmm. So finding my place in that world and especially in relationships for me has been hard because I find that I don't know how to act. Mm-hmm because I don't understand necessarily what's inside to me. So I bend yeah. to the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been very tricky for me because I just want to be me. Mm -hmm. And I've found it terrifying to just be me. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because our culture tells us that women who exhibit certain traits are going to be very well received. Mm-hmm. And that men who exhibit certain traits are going to be well-received. And I feel like we just walk toward that perception out of fear of not being accepted. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So with that, you had also talked a bit about the masculine side of that and, and trying to figure out how both kind of exist inside of you. And mm -hmm. how do you honor that? What has been some things that you have learned about yourself in trying to find a balance? Because I do consider you very smart and you have a strength that is incredible, that is very feminine, but at the same time, it is very present. Like I can feel that energy from you that I think other people would perhaps describe as masculine, but you have said that you have been criticized for being too emotional. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> well, I joke around that I have 897 feelings and I need to feel at least 32 of them every single day. Yes, same here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, this really brings me back to the question about what does it mean to be a woman 
who am I? How do I see myself? Because, you know, when you're talking about that hesitation of, of whether or not you should date someone who wants someone feminine, I also feel that way because I have never described myself as feminine in my life. Partly though, because I felt like I wasn't allowed to, because I don't fit the definition. I am not skinny and thin and you know what I mean? Like all the things I'm not quiet. I'm not, I mean, I can be, but, um, and it's funny because I, in other ways, I would say I'm totally, I'm very feminine. I'm like so emotional. I'm all these things that are supposedly feminine, but I like the standard that I know in terms of like dating romance and that sort of thing, which I feel is like the ultimate standard of femininity. I've never felt like I fit that mold. Like I, I will look at, um, for some reason, my mind goes to those character caricatures of like Celtic princesses, right? With the long flowing dresses and the really long sleeves and the crowns and their hair parted in the middle down to their waist. And it's like, that's to me, like the ultimate feminine, just from what I have learned culturally. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've, I've never been like that. There are, like I said, aspects of me that I definitely feel fit the mold. And again, going back to emotion or like, I love to wear gigantic earrings. I don't know why I love to Same. wear gigantic earrings. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel very connected to my womanhood. And, and yet, like, I, I just, I don't think I've ever really described myself as feminine. Not that I think that I'm masculine. I just don't think I'm either. I'm just, this is why I say, I think I'm more than a woman. I don't, I mean, I think we are all more than the gender as our culture defines it. And so when I think of that, it's like, I, um, I really struggle with that, you know, with that person that I was dating that was a time when I was trying to define like that part in my mind, it was like, I wanted to assert my masculine self. And so I had been saying that a lot. And he said to me, I just, just so you know, I'm heterosexual and I'm not interested in your masculine side. I was like, Oh, what does that mean? That is weird. (laughs) That's an odd thing to say. Well, it, that was like one of the early conversations and looking back on it now, I, I really feel like that was very telling just in terms of, um, that it wasn't going to work, <laughs> but, right. you know, danger Will Robinson danger. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's very telling in terms of how I think that many of us become very, um, entrenched in our gender identity and what we're supposed to do. Like you said, uh, in terms of the pressure that we feel about maintaining that that um, gender identity, and I have a feeling that he was very entrenched in that too. And I'm I'm just gonna give him a pass on that because you know I think I think that is in some ways even harder for men the expectation that they have to be masculine. And so of course he's he's not allowed to want someone who's feeling more gender fluid. That's too close to like, oh, I, maybe I like men or that doesn't make me a real man. I get, you know what I mean? So I'm going to give him a pass on that. But um, again, I wish I had noticed it at the time. <laughs> um, but I feel like, I don't know, this is, this is a place for me where I don't know how to, to define myself and, and also be courageous enough to do that in the face of all of the cultural pressure. Like, I don't know if you remember, but I've been doing this not shaving experience experiment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I still haven't, I think I've shaved my legs twice in the past two and a half years. 
And so like, they're like super hairy. I have like very hairy legs are very dark. My skin is very pale. So you really notice it. And I'm still to this day, so self-conscious about it. Cause I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's so masculine. And then I catch myself and I'm like, why is that masculine? I am in this female body and it grows hair. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Why is that masculine? Why am I just, and this is why I, I don't want to shave and like go back to that routine until I have unlocked this in my head, because it's like, this is not masculine. You have been taught that this is an unfeminine, unacceptable way of presenting yourself in the world. That's what the problem that you're having me personally that I'm having right now. And, um, for me, that's why I'm really pushing myself on it because I want to release myself from this prison that this defines me as one gender or another, right? Like that should not be to me. This is like important to me that it's not an issue. So these are the things that I'm working on. And I, I also struggle with the cultural expectations, just like you. Mm-hmm. I have, um, uh, you can't probably see, maybe you can see all the silvers in there, but the I went down the same road uh, nine months ago and I stopped coloring my hair mm-hmm. because my thought process was that these men can just wander around the world with their gray hair showing and everybody thinks it's amazing. But then when women do it, that's just undesirable because we're supposed to look young and desirable all the time. Mm-hmm. So having the gray hair isn't going to help me. It's going to distract from me being attractive. And so part of it was this protest move of, well, fine, I'm just not going to do it. And that's going to be the end of that. And it's interesting because you talk about, you know, calling the ball back. Well, I've got a, I have a hair appointment tomorrow because I have the same feelings. I don't like the way it looks. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I know I'm making a decision based on how I feel about my appearance solely based on how I feel about my appearance and not anybody else. But I had to go through nine months Mm. of the gray hair to figure out what I liked for myself. Like I am, I, I'm moving now. So I look like hell, but (laughs) my feminine thing is that I love having my nails painted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love having painted nails, Mm -hmm. but have you ever read um, Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique? That is so crazy that you just said that because I just looked it up this morning and I'm like, I've never no. read this. I need to read this. I swear to God. <laughs> Yael, it is life-changing. It is life-changing. And she is obviously, I think she was considered a second wave feminist because the first wave being sort of the suffragettes, she came in and did a lot of research sort of post-World War II into the 50s on what women were fed as what we were supposed to look like and how we were supposed to behave and how that was literally controlled by the media. Then the magazines were owned by men. All of the advertising agencies were owned by men. So the men created this image Mm -hmm. of what they wanted the women to be like and then pushed it out to us and told us that anything beyond this was to be shamed. And I have always felt like I am I am really good at the things that are considered undesirable as a woman <laughs> and really bad at all of the things that are considered desirable. So like I, I am a converse over heels kind of girl. Yeah. I just, it, 
I am awkward even in dresses. Like if they're long, if they are, I just, I've never learned how to apply makeup like a normal person. Sometimes mm -hmm. I put on makeup and I think like, do I look like RuPaul right now? I don't <laughs> even know what the hell I'm doing. I just, I, I can't. But all of the things that women are criticized for being too emotional, mm -hmm. crying. I mean, I am an empath. So it's like, not only am I feeling my feelings, but if you don't want to feel your feelings, that's okay. Cause I'll just feel them for you mm -hmm. and it'll be fine. And then I'm just going to be a crying pool on the floor. And I've always been told I'm too sensitive. So I have got everything sort of flip-flopped for me my whole life in how am I supposed to be a woman when I'm not good at the woman things, which I think is why I have always shied away from the feminine, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I have found many times that it has been easier for me to embrace the masculine. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean more enjoyable, mm -hmm. but it's been easier. And have you felt that at all when you were in a position where you had to dial up the masculine side of you so that you didn't get piled on work that some other guy wasn't doing or some other guy didn't get the promotion over you? How did you feel in that? How did that feel to you? Oh, um, in some ways, I understand the, the concept of it being easier, but it has been um, a constant battle for me because I'm not good at it. I'm not, I, and to be clear, I'm talking about more, uh, let's say, self-confidence, self-assuredness, um, assertiveness at all, you know, that kind of attitude. Um, I'm not very good at portraying that. There are other aspects of so-called masculinity that meaning defined by our culture of masculinity that I feel very much more comfortable with. But um, in that sense, I'm not very good at that. And I feel like professionally speaking, I have always been pushed to do that. My bosses, whether they were men or women, always criticized me for being too soft, too gentle. You're too much of a mom. They used to tell me, I don't even have kids. And always said, you're too much of a mom. People are going to railroad you. Like you need to go in there and be stronger. You need to do this. You need to do that. When I went into high school, um, my student teaching high school, the, my male boss said to me, they are going to eat you alive. You have to be way tougher than this. You have to be like a man. You go in there and you bust balls. And at the time I was so ashamed because I'm like, oh my God, I've been heard this my whole life. You're right. I'm weak. I'm a woman. I'm a girl. And it made me feel like I could never properly function in the world. Like I'd never succeed in the world because I'm just a woman. And looking back on that now, I think, is it okay to curse on this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think fuck that because he should have been in there busting their balls. Like you're telling me not to get railroaded by a bunch of 16 year old boys who are going to bully me, which they did, by the way, I went home crying every single day of that six month placement because those boys were so cruel to me. And the answer should have been my bosses and the men at that school, the male teachers and administrators should have been in there and teaching all of those young men to be respectful of everybody, including women. And instead they wanted me to change who I was to fit a more masculine standard so that I could succeed and, and have a, a you know, successful job, a um, non-abusive job, <laughs> you know, a right. happy experience. It's like, 
no, that is not the way that should have gone. That was wrong. And I really look back on all of those experiences now. And that's part of the reason that I, even though I don't know that I, I'm not even sure that I want to identify certain things as feminine anymore, because what does all of that mean? But also we have to, because these are the, the things that are identified as feminine are the things that our culture is invalidating. And so we have to be able to name that to say, hey, this does matter. And so for now, we'll, we'll do that. But it's like, that makes me feel more and more um, important that it is that we need to lean into that. And also, if, if I may say, like, there's so many aspects of femininity that we there's the, the kind that are like the internal aspects, like emotions and things like that. And then there's the external, like we're talking about high heels, nail polish and all of that. And I question the external stuff even more because why does that belong to femininity? Why does that define femininity? Um, I mean, like, if you don't mind me asking this, I'm not trying to be challenging but this is what I say to myself about my legs. And let's like use your hair as an example. If we lived in a world where we respected and recognized women all through their lifespan, all the way all, you know, past 40, right? If we didn't just fall off the map and ageism didn't erase us, if we had women out there with silver hair, just being like, oh my God, she's so gorgeous. And we were exulting that would you feel the same about your hair? Would you think you didn't like it? Cause I think about that with my legs and I'm like, I don't like the way my legs look, but isn't that because I was taught not to like, you know what I'm saying? If we had women out there walking around with their hairy legs, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. Right. And it's wow. like, why does that have to define femininity? And in which case we can indulge in it or not as much as we want or don't want. Right. right. I think I feel about the silver hair. Um, like I do short hair, mm. right? So there is sort of this new movement where gray hair, that women are really taking ownership of not giving two shits about what people think about their gray hair. And it is the most beautiful mm. thing I've ever seen. And I think though at the same time, like I see all of these Instagram posts of these women who have this beautiful silver hair and it's just white in places and flowing. And the reality of it is my hair doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not as gray as I thought it was going to be. It would be the same thing. Like if women said, you know what? Long hair is bullshit. And we're tired of this idea that long hair is sexy because I don't know a whole hell of a lot of man, men that are like, oh no, a woman with short hair, man, that's where it's at. If you asked 10 men, I, the majority of them would say that they favor and love long hair. Mm -hmm. And so if it became something where we as women were just going to sort of protest that idea and we're all going to chop off our hair, mm -hmm. I would venture to say that I would probably chop off my hair if I did that and hate it because I had short hair once in my entire life. Short hair is not for me. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that it is a very real fact that commercialism targets making women feel insecure. Yes. Absolutely. Right. There is a massive financial benefit to corporations that we feel awful. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think I read something along the lines of women will spend a quarter of a million dollars on 
beauty or skincare, just taking care of their physical appearance throughout their lifetime. Mm-hmm. That is more than the down payment on a home. That mm-hmm. is a that is a modest condo. So mm-hmm. what would we rather do? Have our own condo that we own, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or or keep coloring our hair. And I think that's what kind of offends me as a woman is that you nailed it, especially as I'm 48 years old. And there is this thing that I'm very well aware of in my late forties, as far as the very, very rapid decline of my desirability that has nothing to do with how desirable I feel myself, Mm -hmm. right? I have done so much of the work to be confident and to be strong and to love me for who I am and to understand wrinkles are wrinkles, gray hairs are gray hairs, all of those things. But it creates struggle for me when how I feel about myself on the inside Mm -hmm. is not recognized outside. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And I am, it's, there is, there's no self-loathing that goes on in here. Right. Mm -hmm. At all. I mean, it is one of those things like a friend of mine just told me that like, you know, you feel like people who don't like you have a character flaw. I'm like, yes, they do. It's that they don't like me. Like, <laughs> I love it. Really, if you don't like me, there is something very wrong with you because <laughs> I'm awesome. But it is one of those things I can feel that way all day long. But the minute I step out into the world, so the minute that I put out writing, the minute that I put out a podcast, the minute that I talk about my own experiences, in connection to something that grounds me as a woman mm-hmm. and that is glossed over devalued criticized mm-hmm. i just get frustrated as hell yeah right mm-hmm. like what and then you kind of question like what what am i even doing at this point because it just rattles the cage just enough for us to question ourselves i i feel called to tell a story that is linked to in in the article of mine that you mentioned please this is a uh, back last spring again involving the guy that I was dating and um, that story about him teasing me about being too emotional so I had written a story um it we we were like moving toward dating and then it looked like that wasn't going to happen and I was just brokenhearted because I'm like oh I'm so into this person and it's really been a while since I felt this way and um so I wrote a story called something like what if what if, um, what if you never find a partner or what if you're, what if you're always alone, whatever. And it was just like one of my pensive pieces that I used to work out my emotions. And it was like, well, what if this, and what if that, and the whole article is basically like, what if, what if, what if, and, um, and it's, it was definitely sad, but also I feel like my ultimate point was just like, and what if, so what, right? Like if you never date again, okay. Um, so I sent it to him and he read it and he, and I said, what'd you think? And he said, um, it's typical Yael and very, very melancholy, very emotional. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like he's, he doesn't like it. Like it's not, um, it's not serious enough. It's not, you know, and I almost, after we hung up, I almost immediately went to medium and deleted it. And then I'm like, hold on, I'm going to leave it up and just, just wait and within a week, it was picked up by Human Parts, which for those who don't know, was a really big publication on Medium. 
And then um, Shani Silver, who is a very big author there um, and what a person that I have like, I've read her work for years. So she's amazing. She was my first yeah. podcast guest. Oh my God. Love her. Yeah. yeah. Um, she wrote a response piece to it. And I'm like, oh my God, Shani Silver. <laughs> it's like, and I'm sitting there thinking that I just let this man make me feel so diminished. And I don't know, I'm not saying that was his point, but just that that is the expectation really for, you know, if a woman writes something, it's just, it's just emotional. It's just thoughts and feelings. So what? Like he's just playing the role, you know, this just, the role is I'm a serious entrepreneur, wealthy man, you're an artist and, and a woman. So like two strikes, you know? And I almost let that do something that would have um, diminished my work that would have, you know, prevented me from having those experiences of, you know, for lack of a better word, um, good reception, successful reception. Um, It really broke my heart. And it makes me, again, that that goes back to the um, needing to, to move into softness and to insist on that. It goes back to that for me in terms of wanting to um, really sees this as something like, I mean, we can't control how our culture is going to perceive us or react to us. All I can come to is that we can only just do our thing and insist on our own visibility, insist on our own validity and keep going out there and speaking and doing our work and acting as if the culture cares, you know, <laughs> because right. it should. Right. And I feel like a lot of times the culture just does not care about us. And I don't mean that in a woe is women. Oh my gosh, we've got it so hard, but really we do kind of have it hard. Yeah. I think that as we've mentioned earlier, I think both genders have it hard in mm-hmm. one of the, the final things I want to touch on is we've talked about the male archetype and all of the traits that are associated with that and how difficult it is for the men to break out of that. And then we have the same sort of thing. One of the things that I'm seeing, I spent nine years with my second husband. So I had a very long, I mean, it was my early thirties to my early forties in which was a very pivotal time. I think in any woman's life that I was just sort of preoccupied with being a wife, being a mother and doing all of those things that I didn't think outside of myself that often. Mm -hmm. But now I come out into my mid forties and especially getting back into dating as somebody in their mid forties. I mean, I I was, I've said it before. I'll say I was very ill-prepared. I still feel like I am ill-prepared. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do and, and how I'm supposed to make this whole disaster happen. And I think that one of the things that I've seen in trying to find and foster relationships with men is that the men that I have met are starting down this road Mm -hmm. and they are finally breaking out very timidly Mm -hmm. into the space of getting away from that maleness that was prescribed to them. So they're just starting on the journey. We're miles ahead because we have had feminism. We've had an entire movement Mm -hmm. that has grabbed us and said, you don't have to do this. Mm 
walk with us. So we've had this great benefit. And so there's, I guess, two questions that, that I ponder regarding that is how do we encourage the men on the road without seeming like we're threatening them? And then how do we hold the standard of Christ, could you just get on our level already? Like, I feel both. I feel like I, yes. I'm so excited to see men doing this and yet so freaking impatient because I feel like I'm just standing five miles down the road, tapping my foot. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, okay. So I want to say one, one thing that comes to mind is that a lot of times when I write about my life and the, you, and the, you'll relate to this very much, I think. Um, being a single woman, being my own provider, taking care of myself and celebrating that and being okay with that and still also wanting a masculine energy in my life or a partner. Um, a lot of times I get feedback on that from men saying, well, what, what do we matter in your life? If we're not providers and protectors, where does that leave us? And this is part of the mythology that has to die. And I don't know, yes. I don't have an answer on how to kill it, <laughs> but right. um, we like what I keep trying to say to men is that this, like the, the idea that that is your role again, is that is part of the patriarchy. That was not like when we lived in egalitarian societies before that did not exist. And if you think about, again, going back to male versus female and what we defined or not defined there is no way you can't tell me that protective energy does not exist very strongly in the feminine. The mother bear energy Absolutely. is so strong. And, and I don't even want to um, define that as solely belonging to mothers either. It's just, it's just a protective energy that all people can have and display. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, what I'd like them to see is that like, this is freedom. This is your freedom right here to set you free from this notion that you have to perform a function in a woman's life anymore than we have to perform a function in yours. Can we not just meet and be together and grow together? You do not have to give me money. You do not have to protect me. Like, I mean, those, the, uh, the protection thing happens in relationships and all of that, but that is not the function that a man is there for in a woman's life. Right. And I wish that they could see the the freedom and the liberation in that. And I'm not sure that a lot of them are completely ready to do so because right. I'm sure it is very threatening and scary to that, again, to holding on to that masculine identity. Well, if we set that down, then are we really a man? And so there comes a point here where I feel like there's going to have to be um, more men willing to take those steps to um, face that that fear and step into it. And I think that um, they, they definitely need the, the support of the feminine, of the better word, of women um, to, to be able to feel safe in that space. So you know, this is something that I write about a lot too, of like, we need to really think about our language and the things that we do and say, the expectations that we have as women, like the, the, the way that we always make jokes about um, uh, penis size and stuff like that is like that needs to go all of these things that are diminishing that are like specifically uh edifying this concept of false masculinity it all needs to go and we're all complicit in that and so <clears throat> I think as women the more that we do that the more we'll create a space for them but also we cannot like I talk about this with my friend Catherine all the time 
we cannot be the ones at the forefront of this. We cannot be the ones making this change or putting all our energy into it. We have our own things that we have to deal with. We have our own fight to fight. All we can do, I think, is open the space and be invitational, be welcoming, be here. And they are the ones who are going to have to take those steps to, to be in that space with us. And I don't know how to make that happen because there's so much ingrained in us and ingrained in them that is still going on. The, I mean, you know, the misogyny out there is just everywhere. Right. And, and, that is and I think that <laughs> women, women don't, um, not all women have the interest in vulnerable men. Yes. And I think that it must be terrifying for men to go out into the world and say, okay, I'm going to start working on this and I'm going to start embracing this. And not only there being a rejection connected to that, but then also the reinforcement that those are character traits that are not desirable. Right. When it's just a matter of you haven't met the right person that's going to sit with you in that space. Mm -hmm. And so I love what you say about creating that space. So what's next for you in working through this and kind of trying to explore this a little bit more? What are your next steps? Anything that you're considering? I have been doing a lot of research on gender identity on, I, I've been following a lot of, um, did you know Alok? Um, I can't think of his last mm -hmm. name. Yes. Yes. I'm obsessed, oh, obsessed with them. Completely. So yeah. Um, I'm really trying to educate myself more on um, transsexual issues, on, um, <clears throat> again, gender identity, um, non-binary, um, different forms of sexuality, sexual expression, all of these things, um, partly because obviously, like, I want to be, since I'm speaking about these things, I want to be a responsible voice out there and to be someone who's, you know, accurate and respectful to all people, and also because I have so much of this, you know, so much of these questions within me. And I feel like these are the people who are at the forefront of this. They, they know stuff that I need to know. <laughs> you know? Right. And I am fascinated. I mean, I, you can put one quote from, from a on my Instagram and I'll be like, boom, there's my week right there. I'm going to be thinking about that all week. And it is to me, like, that's, that's where my, where my energy needs to go towards not just the education, but my own exploration married to that education. And then how do I want to speak about that um, just in my own journey? Because really for me, I think it's important to just speak for myself, share my own experiences, because I know there are other people out there who are going through this as you are, and they'll have their own journey and their own um, takeaways from it. And all we can do is just tell our stories, I think. I think that's beautiful. I'm I'm going to just keep questioning everything I do. Yeah. I feel like I have to at this point because I am trying really hard right now in all parts of my life to try and figure out what is a real belief and what is a programmed belief. Yes. And mm -hmm. there are times that I realize that something is a programmed belief mm -hmm. and then I have to start all over again. It's not that I have to do the deep programming because I think once you realize something is a deep, as a programmed relief, the deep programming happens in that moment. Yeah. It is the reprogramming that is the hard part. Yeah. So it goes down to, well, if I was told this is how I was supposed to be or how I was supposed to act, and that's not in agreement with who I am, mm -hmm. the hard question for me then becomes, well, 
how am I supposed to act? Like, how do I want to act? Who am I in that space? It's been very existential for me, which also resulted in me buying a pink velvet couch. Right. Yes. I love that story. (laughs) Which I'm so excited for the pink couch to get here because it just, that was a moment that I just let myself go. Yeah. And I let myself feel joy Mm -hmm. in being feminine, regardless of what anybody was going to say. And so now I am just trying to find more of those moments and not be afraid of it making me undesirable, Mm -hmm. um, strange, odd, an outsider, whatever the case may be. I'm just going to, I'm going to lean into my own self Yeah, because I think it's time. Yes. I think that's the answer right there. I mean, we just have to question and find ourselves and be brave enough to just do it, to just be ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.